1: back to another edition of the core four podcast this is a podcast under sp nation's grizzly bear blues podcast network you can find them on google podcasts spotify apple podcasts stitcher megaphone or wherever you get your podcast we are a blog under sp nation's grizzly bear blues you can find them on twitter at SPN Grizzlies or on the web at grizzlybearblues.com I'm your host Parker Fleming, and with me over here doing a little rapid fire arm curls with five pound weights is Big Nate Chester. Nate, what's up?
0: I'm doing great. I'm 45 minutes removed from my final exam my junior year, and once you've been putting in all that mental work, you got to do a little physical work too. You got to start light, you know, a little work, a little warm up. But you know, we'll yeah. get to we'll get to about 20 by the time this podcast is over.
1: Uh, most definitely, and you know, I was too hyped the other day to talk about it because, you know, John Morant, that that was pretty sick. But I uh, graduated college, graduated from the University of Mississippi, a.k.a. Ole Miss. Is
0: that even a real degree?
1: (sighs) Okay. If
0: If you talk to the people down at Starkville, that's something they might say.
1: Yeah, well, they don't, they probably don't have real degrees at Starkfield. They just kind of, just like,
0: hey, here's your gold cowbell. The, the cow piss they drink at breakfast kind of screws with the brain. I wouldn't worry about it too much.
1: Yeah, I really wouldn't worry about it either. But, you know, Nate, so in the last Core 4, uh, Connor Dunning from ESPN's 92.9 and Brandon Abraham, our very own GB Beer, senior staff writer, and I, we, teamed up and had a lottery reaction podcast because we were just watching it at Casual Pint, you know, in a little nice place to grab some craft beer in Midtown around cool. University cool. of Memphis. Cool. Yeah. That's
0: how, that's how you got to do it.
1: Exactly. And
0: I, I remember, <laughs> so I wasn't able to watch the lottery, so I take a class about C.S. Lewis at Union University. Really fun stuff, as you might think. And as m- part of my final exam for that class, I have to go see the movie Tolkien that's out. Um, If you like biopics, you may not like this one. If you don't like biopics, you will definitely not like this movie. Uh, Suffice to say, I was pretty bored and I was in the infamous group text telling everyone to keep me updated as the lottery was going on. And Parker, let me tell you, I was at 3% on my phone as the lottery began and we go down 15 through nine and the Grizzlies are not there. And then I see someone post the Ape selection and it's not the Grizzlies. I am the only person sitting in this theater because of course no one wants to spend, uh, what was it, Tuesday night? Was it Tuesday night? No, Tuesday night. No one wants to spend their Tuesday night watching a biopic about John Ronald Tolkien. So I'm the only person in the theater. Let me tell you, I am yelling. I am yelling when I see that they're in the top four and they're not at four, they're not at three. I'm on the edge of my seat. I am on the edge of my seat. The Coke next to my seat, it's about to go flying here at any second. And they end up at two, which is great. It's just great. We can't always have the best thing in the entire world because John Barat is going to be an all-star. He is going to be a perennial all-star, and I'm just as high on him as I was on Trey Young this time of last year. That's no small statement for me to make. You, of all people, know that I was the captain of the Trey Young hype train. I was tooting the whistle and everything. If I say I like another point guard just as much as I like him, you know I'm not BSing at all.
1: Oh, not at all. And so, as Nate shared how his Tuesday night was, what he was doing at the lottery time, a casual pine bingo night was going on. And Connor, Brandon, and I were the only ones that actually cared about the lottery. We were watching it pretty intensively. And so we see the Lakers jump up to number four. we're like, well, of course. Great. And then we get to nine. I'm like, okay, we're either can bang or top four. It's going to be good. Washington at nine. So we're top four. And so we're like, all right. Grizz is going to get the four pick. Pelicans three. And then some variation of two and one is going to be the Lakers and the Knicks. But then the Lakers get four. And I'm just like... Okay, the Knicks get three. I, Connor and I, Connor Brandon and I just jumped up out of our seats and we, we just kind of made a little bit of a scene because we were hype. And so, hug? we should have. I should have given them a hug because it was just that special of a moment. And then I'm like, I really think we're going to get the first pick. You know what, Nate? I was going to give you so much crap for that because earlier in the day, <laughs> Earlier in the day, in our infamous group chat, Nate is like, "There is a just as good a chance of Kawhi signing with the Grizzlies than it is of the Grizzlies getting Zion
0: Williamson." And you know what? We were one pick but, away. But guess what? I'm still right. I mean, you were <laughs> s- <laughs> now, now. Now, granted, I will get. They had the same statistic. I think it was six point four percent chance at the second pick. Yeah. As, as they did the first pick. Mm-hmm. So technically, in a way, I was wrong because the same probability managed to happen, Yeah. but uh, I would have been very happy. I would have let everybody in the group Texas walk up and slap me for saying that earlier in the day, and you think, I, you think people call me Negative Nate before? If I was that negative earlier in the day and the Grizzlies ended up with the number one pick at Zion Williamson, I would never say a positive thing about this franchise ever again, ever again. Mm-hmm. I would be the most hated person in the Memphis Grizzlies fandom if it that bring a championship to Memphis. That is the sacrifice I am willing to make for all of our readers and listeners.
1: You know what? Respect
0: Th- me. Respect me.
1: Thank you for your service. Yeah,
0: I do my best. All right. Well, everybody's got to hear what
1: Connor, Brandon, and I felt once we kind of, like, calmed down. You know, we stopped sounding like a bunch of squirrels drinking Red Bulls. But, um, obviously... I like both Ja and R.J. Barrett. I think both can be all-star players at the next level. I'm not going to be upset either way, but it's pretty clear Ja Morant is the guy the Grizzlies should take. And according to Jonathan Giovanni from the Draft Express, from ESPN, he said that the Grizzlies are locked in on taking Ja Morant. And that's perfect because the whole Mike Conley trade stuff and... He just fits alongside Jaron Jackson Jr. And whenever you have the chance to take a franchise point guard, especially when you are you won't have a franchise point guard in five years, you do it.
0: Yeah. It, here's my thought process, and I think you're going to agree with most I'm about to say here, is that... Um, First off, let me go ahead and say I lean towards Morant. Uh, I want Morant at the second pick. I think he will end up, I think he has a legitimate chance to end up being the best player that comes out of this draft potentially, and that's just not something that Grizzlies can pass up. However, there is some food for thought here. I am always a proponent that you draft the best player available and I don't think um, I do think Morant is better than Barrett so therefore you should take him in the circumstance I don't think he's as far apart as many people think because think of it this way Morant was incredible last year 24 and 10 the only player in NCAA history to average 20 points and 10 assists in a season really has no weaknesses in his game he's small he'll struggle in the defensive end like most point guards do as soon as they enter into the league but um, he has a complete game super athletic um, don't really let I don't don't really understand the knocks against his shooting. He does shoot with a little bit of a low arc, but he shot 36% from three, and he made just under two threes a game. That's very very solid, very very good. I think it will translate to the next level. But something to remember about R.J. Barrett. RJ Barrett was one of the best players in college basketball, right there with Job Barrat last year. RJ Barrett has also been the best player in his age group basically since age 12 or 13, since that's basically recorded. And this, like, I think this narrative that he somehow underachieved or he somehow struggled at Duke last year, he struggled in the sense that he wasn't the best player on his team, and he wasn't Zion Williamson. And Zion's a generational transcendent prospect in the same vein of LeBron James or another player of that caliber. You can't really knock him for that. Are there concerns and question marks? Yeah, but he averaged 22, eight and four for dude He's not Andrew Wiggins. He's not Andrew Wiggins. He's a very complete player. There are questions about his shot selection. That just goes to show me that he's a very aggressive, type-A, dominant-type player. And you can work out kinks about taking smarter shots and help. Some of the greatest players in NBA history never learned good shot selection. Looking at you, Kobe Bryant. <laughs> but I think Barrett will be great. And honestly, it would not um, it would not hurt my feelings and disappoint me at all if the Grizzlies took him at two. I do want Morant over him, and I don't think it's worth listening to the backlash of the majority of Memphis by picking Barrett over Morant. It's very obvious the Grizzlies seem to think that he's a superior prospect, so go ahead. Pick Morant. He's probably the best player available, and he also serves a dual purpose of being your phone guard of the future.
1: Yes, sir. And so, I want to kind of get back a little bit on this like Morant versus Barrett thing real quick, because before the draft lottery, I was Team Barrett over John Morant, because... I mean, people were comparing him to, like, Canadian James Harden because people saw that performance he put on against Team USA's U19 team, I think. Yeah. They beat them. Canada beat them. Like, that's it's no small feat. And so, and I think that whole Duke team was just super weird because, like, yeah. there's no spacing. Their point guard, Trey Jones... They had Taco Fall guard him, and I. You can't see me right now doing the air quotes around guard. He sat in the lane because there's no three second rule.
0: It, it was it was so bizarre for a lot of ways because. Um, Tell, tell you what, while you're on your laptop, what can you look up? Barrett's stat or his three-point shooting from AAU before he came to Duke, because uh, he always shot 31 percent this past year at Duke from beyond the arc, and I think he was generally considered a better shooter than that. And I'm part of me wonders if it just comes down to Coach K not being able to properly manage the talent he's been bringing in over the last couple of years, and that may seem like a bit of a hot take since K is a legend. But um, generally Cameron Reddish was considered a great shooter before coming to Duke, RJ Barrett was considered a great shooter coming to Duke, Um, and yet their spacing was continually a problem all year long, and it's very difficult to evaluate Cameron Reddish as a whole because I personally don't like Reddish. I would not take him in the top 10. I think you and I disagree on that. Um, I just do not see the makings of a good basketball player. I think he brings a lot of physical talents and gifts. He's six foot eight, has about a seven foot wingspan. Um, But I also have to realize that Cameron Reddish I forget the exact stat on the measure, but he was one of the worst finishers at the rim in the entire NCAA, 300 plus teams. He was one of the worst. And I don't think he's that bad at finishing in the paint. It's a function of their poor spacing it due. So what, it's a testament to how great Zion is that he stood apart the way that he did, but it's kind of difficult to evaluate Barrett or Reddish for that matter.
1: Mm-hmm. One thing with Barrett that I'm really interested to see is him in a offense that has a lot more spacing, because as I said, Trey Jones, you can't even guard him. Cameron Reddish had a very poor shooting season, and they always had another big man next to Zion, so like obviously he's not going to space the floor either. So there was no driving lanes for RJ Barrett to really show off that herky jerky kind of movement. And I really do think that in today's NBA, it's dominated by or it's becoming more dominated by bigger shooting guard type players. Your Devin Bookers, your CJ McCollums, your Jamal Murray's, Donovan Mitchell, Luka Doncic, those are it's it's a premium to have a guy that with that size be able to handle the ball, yeah. create his own shot, be a go to score, as well as dropping he, seven, he, eight assists a game. And I think he could do that at the next
0: level. There's no chance of him being a bust at the next level. No chance in my opinion.
1: Right. And like if he's a bust, like congrats you got OJ Mayo, who if he didn't get hooked on drugs, <laughs> he would still be in the league. As like he a was six never man. the same
0: if we get punched in the face by Tony Allen on a flight.
1: Yeah, I know. And one thing you said earlier about uh, John Morant's three point shooting and how people are just trying to nitpick and find flaws in his game. So I'm I pull up these stats here. Comparing John Morant a.k.a. a weak three-point shooter. He shot 4.8 attempts per game at a sixty or 36% clip. That's good. That's All
0: solid. Right. You can nitpick mechanics, but that is a solid... That's a good three-point shooter mm-hmm. by any measure of the word. Not a great one, but a good one.
1: And then Kobe White, good volume three-point shooter. All right. 6.6 three-point attempts per game at 35%. Well, it's very similar. It's just like really one maybe two attempts off but like
0: and another thing is when you go and watch morant's highlights on youtube i remember a couple days ago i was going through them and i had like read about the concerns when it came to shooting and i wanted to look at highlights and videos of him shooting and his highlights are all dunks. They're all fast break dunks. And I wonder if that plays into the narrative that he's not a strong shooter and that's something he's going to have to work on at the next level. The evidence that he is a good shooter right in front of your face isn't necessarily that available, but statistically he's fine. He's good. He does not have a broken jumper. Now granted, Granted, he does – he shoots with a very low arc. His elbow kind of contorts a little bit on his shot. It's something mechanically that will probably have to get smoothed out at the next level. I think it's important to remember that it's not as bad looking as Lonzo's where Lonzo's mechanical problems were so bad that even though he was a great three-point shooter at UCLA, for whatever reason, it just hasn't been able to transfer over to the NBA just yet. I don't think he's going to turn out like Lonzo. His mechanics and everything look a lot better than Lonzo's do. I mean, even then, with like, I think
1: Lonzo Ball, like, might be a good floor for his first
0: year or two, because even though Lonzo, he's better than Lonzo nearly outside defense. He's better in every. I know. What I'm saying is, is that
1: the shot really doesn't translate similar to Lonzo. I think Ja does a very good job of making it up in other areas. Oh, absolutely. To suffice for it, like he can still average twelve and eight next season with a bad jumper.
0: What did I think uh, Trey Young's generational talent, what did I think was the biggest thing that drew me to him?
1: Was it his passing?
0: Well, his passing, too, but his shooting, he reminded me of Steph Curry. It basically became a cliche leading up to the draft that he's the next Steph Curry. And I think people just got exhausted, but didn't want to talk about it anymore. But Trey Young was also an incredible passer. He led the nation in assists for a good bit of the year during his freshman year at Oklahoma. I think the whole year. And, and he gets to Atlanta and... Outside of the first couple of weeks, he struggles mightily with his shot the first mm-hmm. half of the season. Shot 20, 25 to 28% from three. However, while he did that, he was an elite. Playmaker. He was seeing things on the court that you do not expect a rookie point guard to see, and he ended up averaging eight assists per game for the season. Morant is an even better playmaker than Trey Young was at Oklahoma, mm-hmm. especially when you consider the teammates he was playing with, because trust me, I watched him in the NCAA tournament. He was not working with much over at Murray State, and he's an even better playmaker than... He's also a far better athlete than Trey Young, far better athlete than probably any point guard that's come out of the last couple of classes. He's fast, he's explosive, and my God, can he jump? Can he jump? It's ridiculous. He is going to end up on a lot of top tens on SportsCenter next year, and not even off his own, not even him driving to the basket, there are going to be lobs that are thrown his way. He is 6'3", 175, and he's going to be dunking on people who are 6'10 next year.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you know, I really want to, I need to give credit over to Connor Dunning for this comparison. I think it's one that he's going to, if he hasn't already mentioned it on the Jeffrey Wright and Mark Giannotto show. Shout out. shout out. Shout out to Mark Giannotto and Jeffrey Wright for this big opportunity. Congratulations from the guys from the Core 4. He, so, Connor tossed out this comparison for John ja Morant. You ready? Mm hmm. Prime Rose.
0: Prime Rose.
1: Prime. Derrick Rose
0: better playmaker than Rose ever was he alright here's here's my hot take he on day one will be a better playmaker and passer than Derrick Rose ever was at his peak
1: yeah Derrick Rose was never that good of a passer
0: Rose at his peak during his MVP season average I think just over 7 assists a game I expect Morant my prediction right now is for Morant to come in and average 15 and 80 his rookie season Mm -hmm. I think that's a completely fair expectation absolutely Um, did you see what Sam Bassini said earlier today um, he said he expects um, Morant to be, be top five in assists next season. Now that's, that's a big claim. That's a very big claim, but it's not outside the realm of possibility he is just an incredible floor general he's going to make everyone around him better and that doesn't mean he's not going to leave plenty for himself he's going to create a lot of damage just by himself and i do see a lot of Derrick rose and i honestly hadn't thought about that until now because westbrook always is the prime comparison for very athletic point guards but rose was a more controlled skilled westbrook in a lot of ways especially on the offensive end and i see a lot of that and I don't see quite the out-of-control, reckless abandon in Morant that you see in Westbrook. But I do see kind of that more controlled, extremely explosive, lightning-quick first step and Morant that you saw in Rose. I see that. That's a really mm-hmm. good comp. Yeah, this uh, Sam. I,
1: yeah, shout-out to Connor Dunning for that. And if you haven't mentioned that on your show yet, I'm sorry for bringing it up first. But anyways, um, another thing that Sam Fajini pronounce the last name for me again Vassini yes Vassini that he said I think he said it on 92.9 today is he called Jean Morant so he said he has Rondo's brain and De'Aaron Fox's body that it's
0: that's an all-star that definitely is an all-star right there um Mm -hmm. the sky is the limit um it could not work out anything can really happen uh Chris Dunn is always going to be the guy who scares me about supposedly proven ready-to-go point guards from day one because everyone loved Chris Dunn leading up to the draft back to – was it two or three years ago? It was was, uh, three years
1: ago. Three years ago.
0: Because he had been in college for three or four years, um, and he was supposedly ready-to-go. Uh, ready to lead a team. Chris Dunn will always scare me off from saying a point guard will be a surefire all-star because the position is so difficult to play. But but just sing
1: with Chris yeah. Dunn, he was a four-year player at Providence. Like, obviously, we sh- we can't – it's kind of hypocritical because John Morant's a mid-major, but he looked so good because, for one, he's a senior, mm-hmm. and he's not in a strong conference either. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like – what Chris Dunn did is no different than what Jeremiah and, Martin did at Memphis.
0: And his measure, hes it's literally no comparison in every area of the game, even from Dunn's senior year to Morant's sophomore year. Not at uh, all. Yeah, Morant surpasses him in every single area. But I think the Grizzlies have a legitimate all-star. It may take him a couple of years to get there. Uh, point guard development is sometimes non-linear, and sometimes it can take them eight or nine years to fully figure it out, just like it did Mike Conley and Steve Nash. But this guy has all the makings of a superstar and a guy who will lead the Memphis Grizzlies into the next era and we haven't even talked about what he and Jaron could be together going forward. We've talked a lot about Morant but the two of them together, the explosiveness, oh my goodness. And, And the thing that amazes me the most is I remember writing a post Um, I think it was released on draft night, or the day of draft night um, last year, and I think I talked about how the Grizzlies had one bullet left in the chamber. They had one little chance to get this right, to give themselves a foundation block for the rebuild going forward, and I thought it was going to take a very long, difficult process. They may may never reach excellence once again, and here they are. They've somehow stumbled through dumb luck into two – generational foundational building blocks that's mm-hmm. as good as it gets right there and uh, people who've been wanting to convey the pick all year to kickstart the rebuild got news for you the rebuild just got kickstarted it's, accidentally. Even, it's, it's even better <laughs> it's even better um
1: yeah and honestly this is a good um a good starting point for this new decade coming up because i think i, I mean we can see with the eastern conference so obviously, right now the team that was the future team, Philadelphia and like Milwaukee teams like that, they're already up, and you're already seeing it in the 2020s. It's looking like Atlanta is going to be the next team up, but there's nobody in the West after the Warriors. Maybe the Nuggets,
0: Spurs have some building blocks, but their future is kind of questionable. It's it's but weird because it's, I think a lot of those players have role
1: player potential, like yeah. the Derek Whites, the Jonte Murrays, the They need a star.
0: Yeah, the Spurs have nailed their picks for the most part, but at the end of the day, there's always so much you can do with end of first round picks. Mm-hmm. You may get a Jimmy Butler every once in a blue moon with the thirtieth pick in the draft. But for the most part, you may get an elite role player, but that's all you're really going to get at the end of the first round. Right. Um, for the Nuggets, and I can't say enough about Nikola Yoko, Twenty five, thirteen, 25, 13, and eight he, in the playoffs. He, he
1: might end up being an all-time great, when all it's right. all said and done.
0: That's, uh, we He's obviously been significantly underestimated for the majority of this year. I've underestimated him, and I can admit that. he. I think he could be a generational great. Um, so Denver could very well be next up, but – um, Steph probably got another four or five semi close to this year. Yeah.
1: Um But it's one of those things where like there's not that next up team. I mean the Kings could be great. I think I have a I I think they could be great. It's just gonna come down to is their playing style. Buddy something? Hills
0: already darn thirty three years old. True. <laughs> Buddy Hills outside of his prime. <laughs> I wanna see
1: um I wanna see what Dallas could do aside from getting having Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis I'm not super high on them like, The thing it, is they
0: got to build around them to, if, With the state that they're in right now you roll Doncic and Porzingis out of the court in <laughs> their current roster they would not I don't think they'd step the playoffs next year No
1: and I do want to see what Phoenix can do you know, I wanna see them actually win games first before I call them anything. They have all
0: the talent uh, in the world. Uh, win I, some I games real quick. I, I'm not going to make any I'm going to assume the Suns are going to win twenty to thirty games until they prove me otherwise at this point. Because it and, and maybe maybe we're being unfair to all the talent they have there. Maybe they need a point guard. Maybe they just need any competent point guard and maybe it starts to Mike Conley. Not, <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm not even talking Oh man. Wow. <laughs> we can get to that in a sec, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a, not even Conley, just any point guard. Mm-hmm. That's not Isaiah Cannon,
1: right? Well, they they did have the thing come out where apparently there's a lot of belief that they're the team that promised Darius Garland. But I'll be there at six. I don't. Th- I, I think. I think the Lakers will. To take the thing is, think. I. Right, it'll be something we talk about after our break, real quick. But really, the only two teams that have a strong, strong probability of being the next team up after the Warriors are. The Denver Nuggets and the Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers, they just have a lot of good young talent as well as amazing flexibility. They've built an outstanding culture that will attract stars for many years to come. Yeah, And with that, because it's not so um, solidified, this is the Grizzlies' chance.
0: They have a legitimate chance. And, and we'll this it. is
1: something we've been arguing, or not, we haven't been arguing with each other about this. We've been arguing for this of build towards post-Warriors. Because with Jaron Jackson and now Ja Morant, you can do it.
0: I think it was either Zach Flyman or Jason Wexler who said over the last couple of days that in order to be great in the NBA, it takes a lot of hard work, it takes skillful moves, and it takes a lot of luck. Well, the Grizzlies have gotten the third part down right, Mm -hmm. and we're going to see how well they can build around these two guys going forward. But you've got the two guys that you need. Mm -hmm. I made the argument the thing that bothered me back a year ago is that even as great as Jaron was I felt that in the modern NBA your best player cannot be a big man if you want to win an NBA championship that very well may not have to be the case anymore no matter how great Jaron ends up becoming you got it's like Captain America at the end of Endgame if you haven't seen the movie I don't care hey
1: I just saw it last night you saw
0: it last night it's so good Good. yeah Jaron on your left on your left on your left
1: yes helps, sir helps
0: on the way mm-hmm. and the yeah. future of the Memphis Grizzlies appears to be here
1: that's right and so we're gonna go to a quick ad break but we'll catch you on the other side stay tuned alright Nate we're back um, one thing I do wanna talk about because of we stumbled into this and it was a conversation that was gonna be harder at eight easier to when conveying the question of what's next, I mean, obviously the writing's on the wall for Mike Conley.
0: Um, I think this vision that people have um, of Conley staying to mentoring Ja, um, Conley doesn't want that. It's very obvious that he doesn't want that. And you don't need him to be a diva and come out and demand a trade or tweet out like Eric Bledsoe and say, I don't want to be here for us to realize that he is very politely, and very firmly, I think, made his case clear about that. And I'm not even convinced that it would be the best thing for Ja, I personally think it might be better to throw John to the fire from day one and accelerate his development in that area because, um, of course, you could still start John but I don't think he's gonna be a natural two starting out in the NBA, and I just question how well that would fit together. Um, I think the riding's on the wall, like you said, and the Grizzlies need to focus on moving kindly for future assets, uh, future first-round picks, and uh, maybe a young player, future starting shooting guard, maybe? Um, the names don't really, aren't really running to my head right off the top of my, my head when it comes to that, but all their moves from here on out need to be future-based. So that brings me to Jonas Valanciunas, and Jonas apparently has said in an interview with a Lithuanian reporter that he need first off, he wants to see who the Grizzlies hire as their head coach, and also he really, really wants Mike Conley back. Now, the question I have for you is that, well, not really a question, really. This is my opinion. Uh, without Conley, even with Alan Chunas, they're not going to make the playoffs next year. Unless Jaron just takes this huge leap, like a 20 and 10, while being an elite defender leap in year two, and Morant. He's averaging 20-8 and as a rookie. Um, I do not see them making the playoffs next year, even with Valanchunas. So if Valanchunas asking Price to stay is that you have to have Conley, it may be worth letting him walk and looking for younger pieces in free agency because you're going to make Jaron Jackson your starting center of the future anyway Mm -hmm. to slide him over to center if Valanchunas walks.
1: It just comes down to the point of when – not it's not gonna be an if Jaron moves to center it's gonna be when mm-hmm. and obviously I'm a huge Jonas Valanciunas guy I mean obviously these comments for most fans is kind of like oh man he may not come back but it could be you know a blessing in disguise for them to kind of see what kind of team they want to build around Jaron and Jaw I think a good short term center for to kind of just test out and see what you want to do is a guy like Dwayne Deadman. Yeah. He's a good, mm-hmm. good veteran presence. He's he's acquired the three ball in his game. Mm-hmm. He can protect the rim alongside Jaron and play the five next to him. And, and I, I don't see any problem with that. He's gonna be cheap, also.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, the Jonas Valanciunas comments are really. It's kind of. I think at the
0: end of the day, money's gonna talk. Mm-hmm. Um, I ultimately think he's going to opt in probably for this year because without an uh, extension, more than likely. He, yeah, without an extension, he's probably also. Um, it's smart for him. Obviously, he's betting on himself by taking the player option, but next summer is a far more advantageous situation for him. He's probably the fourth or fifth best center on the market in this free agent class. Uh, next offseason, he'll probably be the first or second best center on the market oh, yeah, and will command more money. And Let me tell you this, um, a lot of people will make the argument, and it's a valid one for the most part, that traditional centers are no longer anywhere near as useful in the modern NBA. Let me tell you, the Houston Rockets have used a very useful center against the Golden State Warriors. It pained me to no end to watch Clint Capellas broke ass, catch the ball three feet away from the rim. And I know he adds rebounding. I know he's a good defender. He can guard and pick and rolls, but my god, just turn around and score in the low post. It's the one thing you got to work on in your game, scoring from 3 feet away from the basket. Oh my God! It, like, it, it it piss Parker, I'm going on a rant here because like I, we've all dreamed of going to the NBA. We're short white guys and we worked on our skills for years, and here's this 6'11" dude and like he, just, bro, he just, He's got no skills on the bone in his hands. Let, let's be
1: real we're, we're a bunch of white kids who we're still working on our skills, even though there's nothing for us. Right? <laughs> we We're, do it for the heck of it. <laughs> we, we just do it to play basketball. But, you know, you love those uh, comparisons you see on Twitter, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> Somebody called Clint Capella, Bismack Biombo with slightly better hands. <laughs> <laughs> Just slightly.
0: (laughs) The funniest one I ever saw in the NBA playoffs is somebody said, Russell Westbrook is just Johnny Flynn with anger issues. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, Johnny Flynn was the fourth pick back in the sixth sixth pick back in the 2010 draft for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, He was a point guard, had a somewhat solid rookie season, and then was out of the league after two years. (laughs) And that was just such an excellent cop-up. Someone called Ben Simmons a tethered Lamar Odom. I, I always like
1: uh, throwing player comps out there for Damian Lillard because I can just add with the SoundCloud, <laughs> like Trey, like Trey Burke with the SoundCloud, um, Mario Chalmers with the with the rap album. <laughs> What's another good? Who's another point guard? Aaron Brooks uh, with Lil Wayne as a feature. <laughs>
0: I don't know. Just these are off the top of my head. I'm, I apologize about how terrible. I they are. back in the day when Steve Nash was playing on the Lakers in 2013. Uh, someone made a similar joke. it's like, Steve Nash is just Steve Blake, and Steve Blake was on the team <laughs> at that time. Damn. They were on the team together. Well, you
1: know, you know all right, I'm going to try to get back on top. We we, we we jumped around, but you know, with this Grizzlies team, let's be—it's a broken record. They're gonna need some shooters around John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. And I think it was just excitement building or whatever. But the other the other night on the core four, I mentioned the idea of trading Kyle Anderson. And guess what? I'm I'm not for it really anymore. Just move him to the bench. Have him be your. Uh, Boris Diao light, not in terms that he's worse than Boris Diao, but he just weighs less
0: than Boris Diao. Or you could explore starting him at the four, playing Jaren at the five, That's about something about Chumas about walks.
1: Yeah, I know. Because what you could also do is you get the uh, the jaw and Kyle pick and roll with Kyle doing the short roll, and then bounce off every, either to Jaren at the corner or yep. him in the low post. Lob up. Easy. And Kyle's a
0: versatile matchup, even against players who are bigger than he is, because his arms are so long that even when someone tries to just completely physically overpower him on the low block. And generally, that's a few guys, the LaMarcus Aldridge's of the world, who are still left. He's able to use his length to to disrupt them very well to the Mm -hmm. point where they're not able to gain much ground on him getting to the basket.
1: Yeah, and I'm really honestly excited for the idea of John Morant because of the secondary prospects the Grizzlies have. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: With Dylan Brooks, he's finally getting to play with a real point guard because his rookie season, he only played with Conley for 12 games because, I mean, we all know what happened with Mike Conley. He spent all of his rookie year playing with Andrew Harrison, and he put up decent production. He did. I mean, especially for—actually excellent for a second-round pick. Yeah. And then this year, he had his injury issues, and I'm really interested to see what he looks like with a pass-first, attack-first kind of point guard. Yeah. And also, I'm very interested to see what happens with Javon Carter. I know people are like, oh, what a—I kind of—
0: case somebody our, crab is like, oh, who cares? But really— Our friends at uh, Bill Street Bears and our few West Virginia listeners are very invested in this topic, Parker. Yeah, shout-out
1: Dudley and Kern. Uh, um, yeah, so um, with Javon, one thing I'm very interested to see is he, he no longer has to worry about being the floor general. He can play alongside John Morant and just worry about being a defensive pest.
0: I agree, but I think he's also got to prove whether he's a legitimate NBA player. I, I, think, I think we'll by the end of next year, we'll know that for a fact one way or the other, whether he becomes that. And knowing the Grizzlies' luck, they've given up on a guy like they gave up on Grievous Vasquez, and he was averaging 13-9 and nine as a starter in Toronto. So mm-hmm. nothing really surprises me anymore, but I do think by the end of this year, we'll have a good vibe. For what Carter can bring, could he become a Patrick Beverly-type player? I would love that if he was able to be. I'm not sure he quite has that mentality that Patrick Beverly plays I, with. I
1: think he has the mentality, but not the personality. Yeah,
0: the, the, um,
1: like I think, the, I I think, just, think he has the, the mentality. Ten, maybe
0: not the tenacity. Would that be the right way to put it? Um, maybe.
1: Patrick Beverly is just annoying as hell. Like I love him, but he's annoying as hell.
0: I, I'm trying to find the right description for him. He is Tony. The,
1: He is Tony Allen. But
0: he's in a pest in a way that Tony Allen never was. No one ever wanted to fight Tony Allen in the middle of a game. Raja Bell? Man, to go back deep for that. That's deep. I don't know.
1: Yeah. mm -hmm. But, so, another thing with, um, and also, it's something I wrote about on Grizzly Bear Blues. It's kind of in light of, you know, um, it's become more relevant now because of, Jonas Valanciunas' comments. I wrote about is Chandler is stretching Chandler Parsons contract I, I said it as is it a stretch because I'm I'm punny, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, like is it something really worth it as far as cap space? And I think if these comments from Jonas Valanciunas are as indicated as he may not come back, you do stretch Parsons and try to Get that restricted free agent to pair next to Jaw and James. Do you
0: go do you still throw the bank at D'Angelo Russell this offseason? Um,
1: I'm more so leaning towards Brogdon because of Jaw. Because, uh, because I, that's a good two because I I don't know if I mean, granted, we did see D'Angelo Russell play really well off of Spencer Dinwiddie, and then uh, Shabazz, Napier, Karis Levert, all primary ball handlers. So, so
0: here's a little bit of a working theory that I have when it comes to combo guards in the NBA. Um, generally, I think if you do not average more, if you play 32-plus minutes a night as a starting point guard and you don't average more than six assists a game, I'm talking about like 6.0 assists a game, Um, I think you're very capable of playing shooting guard. You may, be, may even be more equipped to play shooting guard. And this isn't a knock against Mike Conley, who's averaged six assists for many years. Uh, back in two, I don't know about this past year, although I assume it'd be similar, but his um, metric stats playing off the ball back in 2017, he was spectacular. The, Superstar level numbers The Grizzlies the ball.
1: have, Yeah, the Grizzlies have always done well in two-guard lineups with Conley. It was really, at first it was Conley and Healthy Charmer, Chalmers. Mm-hmm. They were one of the best uh, backcourts by net rating. I think it was like the 2015-16 season. Yeah. And I think that's why Fizzdale also wanted to explore playing him alongside Andrew Harrison. And then, um, I mean, even as bad as Shelf of Mack is, Conley's off-ball brilliance had that as a positive net rating.
0: He made people... He made it certain idiots think that Shelvin Mack was the best backup point guard in the history of the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, but we're not going to talk about that. We're done with that. Shelvin Mack is dead to me. He was always dead yeah. to me. You know, like, but, I, but uh, going back to what I was saying, it's like, I think Russell could serve as a more natural shooting guard next to Moran's. But, but, and, and now, my, my problem with that is that backcourt will suck on the defensive end for that, a year, year or two. And, and that's my that, thing. And, and Brockton would be a better fit in that regard. And,
1: yeah. Yeah, because here's, here's my thing with Brogdon over Russell, now that it's more like we're taking Sean Morant, is, so, like, I like your theory, you know, the six assists, and he can play shooting yard, but, um, as you said, defense, and two, just the three-point percentage in general. I mean, granted, D'Angelo Russell's a great shot maker, especially from three, but the consistency Brogdon has, and also the leadership values that he, I mean, I, I think, both are great leaders, but also too, this is my big point. Would you rather pay D'Angelo Russell between twenty two and twenty five million dollars or would you rather get Brogdon for seventeen?
0: Brogdon. Yeah. Exactly. And on pace along with those leadership skills to be one of the most efficient shooters in NBA history. Did he did he end up with fifty four to ninety? Um maybe I would think I, so he, he definitely he got, got 90 on the free throws. oh so. yeah he
1: was like 98% <laughs> yes he went 50.5 50. 50. 50. 42.6 and 92.8 he's a 41% 3 point shooter f- for his f-
0: career 15-4 and 3 as your starting shooting guard while shooting 50-40-90 while giving you excellent defense that is about as clear a picture of an elite role player as you're going to get mm-hmm. and maybe even getting over the line of elite role player into all-star territory at a certain point doesn't quite have the raw production and raw statistics to get to that point yet but mm-hmm. I think very well he very well could be but it's because it's one of those things too where he was what Chris Dunn was supposed to be mm, no
1: no 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 no, no. And, I, th- I think Chris I think Donovan Mitchell is what people wanted Chris Dunn to be because of yeah. athleticism yeah Brogdon is honestly what Wade Baldwin should have been really Oof. Yeah, we're they not picked, to... When
0: they picked Wade Baldwin, uh, don't bring up that old wound. Now, granted, Brogdon was picked in the second round. and was picked him at 17. Everybody missed on Brogdon. Yeah.
1: And that makes me feel a we little bit We missed on better. him three times. Yeah. We traded a first-round pick. So <laughs> Yeah, so... Uh, but new era, new era. Mm-hmm. There's one... Speaking of the draft, missing prospects, getting extra picks, stuff like that. I want to close with this. And it's the idea... So. Some people speculate the idea of trading Mike Conley for another pick in this year's draft, as well as getting some other assets. I'm trying to think. I mean, people have thrown out Sabonis, but I think you only get Sabonis if it's guaranteed balance is gone. Yeah. Um, You have... I, I do still like Orlando as a possibility because they just made the playoffs for the first time this decade.
0: And although D.J. Augustine made the biggest shot of his life in Game 1 of the quarterfinals against the Raptors, they admitted a significant upgrade at point guard for a long time. I honestly think they would have taken Trey Young over Bomba. Young had been available to them last year. Mm-hmm. They need an upgrade. and Bring me Jonathan Isaac. No matter No matter what you have to do to make the money work, Bring me Jonathan Isaac. I was... I don't think they'd do it. No, <laughs> I, think,
1: <laughs> I think a deal we can see is like... It'd be like Fournier. You might have to take the last bit of Moscow off steel, but who cares? Mm-hmm. And then the 16th pick in the draft.
0: Yeah. Which there are so many different combinations of what you could do with Conley mm-hmm. and at the end of the day you can get what you're looking for a uh, starting shooting guard you can get younger players you can get draft picks and honestly I kind of wish I'd gone through and like made a list of all the different combinations I could think of before mm-hmm. we did this but yeah. um, maybe that's something we can get into for the next show right? Yeah. But, um, they they hold a lot of leverage with Conley right now they hold all the cards right now and generally they can hold out for as long as they want with him probably before the season starts you'd prefer to like to move him but um, there are so many possibilities of what they could do.
1: I don't think you wait till the season though.
0: I don't. No, because I
1: don't you're gonna, that's when you're going to have to match money. This year people can use their cap space to absorb a little bit of that money. You,
0: you wait until people strike out. You either do it on draft night or you wait until people strike out free agency.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah and obviously you, we've seen it all over Grizzly Bear Blues as far as trade speculation and stuff. We will talk about it on the core four. But just because of the idea of trading for a pick on draft night, you've seen people like the Bulls are looking at trading for a veteran. You've seen the Pacers linked to, the, to Mike Conley, the Jazz. The um, I, I personally want him to go to Boston for more reasons than one.
0: But, Orla-
1: you, and in Orlando, like we mentioned. You placed Mike
0: Conley place of Kyrie Irving this past year. The Celtics probably won 55 games instead of 49. And they and might be in the conference finals right now. For, for as much as personality difference as anything else, rather than actual like, ability differences. Um, but yeah, Boston's mm-hmm. a possibility. Um, I believe you brought this up a couple days ago. What was it? Um, uh, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, and one of their first-round picks this year for Conley?
1: I don't think you can get – I think it would be um, one of those things where I would want – it would It would take Gordon Hayward. You'd have to help Boston get off his deal, and that's fine with me. That's two years left. And if he's anything remotely like his old self, that's a valuable trade asset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, you would either try to get – you ask first for Jalen Brown because I think he can literally be Jimmy Butler. Mm-hmm. And then – or you get two of their first round picks this year. Yeah. I think that's doable. And the idea of trading into this draft is so intriguing to me. And let the record be shown, you can disagree all you want, but I've been high on this draft since January. You have been. Yes. And that guy's in the range of people who landing spots for Conley. they like Kobe White, Cam Reddish, Siku Dabaya. We'll work on that. (laughs) But I do like the idea of him being like a nice little like Pascal Siakam next to Jaron Jackson. I I
0: thought he was white. No, he's black. I thought... I swore I'd seen pictures of him, and he was white. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> there you go.
1: Brandon Clark. Mm-hmm. Have fun switching. Yeah. yeah. Um Bowl bowl. Okay. I
0: love bowl
1: bowl. Can we Bull. can we just like have another podcast so, for bowl bowl? Just Okay. Go, all, go, ahead,
0: go hey, ahead. We'll Go say, ahead. Go ahead. We'll I'll just give you a little bit of precursor before we talk about him next time. People are sleeping on bowl bowl, including myself. I didn't know the numbers he had put up in Oregon in ten games before he'd gotten hurt. He averaged twenty and nine. He's seven foot two, dribbles like a guard, can make threes. He's too weak to be a good defender at this mm-hmm. point of his career, but he puts on muscle. Seven two, but lateral mobility. I don't understand why in a draft it's like generally frowned upon by as many pundits as this is that he's not going in the top eight. But that's my piece for right now. I like
1: the idea of him being a three.
0: We fall in love too much with stretch fours and everything like that, but seven two at your three, imagine the problems you can cause mm-hmm. lengthwise.
1: Right. And then you have Kevin Porter Jr., Romeo Langford, Tyler Harrow, Nasir Little. Your boy Tyler Harrow. Rui Hatchemara. Dude, I, I still think he'd be a great shooter next. <laughs> I we'll dive more into this on the next one to give you all something else to look forward to. But I think trading Conley for a guy in this year's draft, it gives you the opportunity to be splashy. Yes, it does. You can make a risky pick a lot what uh, Milwaukee did with Giannis. You can make a risky pick where it's like, you know what, if it doesn't work, cool. We still got John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. But this could be the guy that gets us to a next level.
0: The guy that makes you an NBA Finals contender in five, six years.
1: Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, I like guys like Langford and Kevin Porter Jr., Tyler Harrow. Yeah. I like Tyler Harrow because he can be a, a good fit alongside John Morant. But I like R- Langford and Kevin Porter Jr. because they can yeah. kind of be that Lou Will off the bench. Yeah, they can. Be. I mean, it's I, I hate to compare people to Lou Will. He's going to be the greatest six man of all time, yeah. even ahead of Manu Ginobili. Mm-hmm. But, um... Oof. Dang. Ah, it's spicy.
0: It's spicy. Annoying. That's a rough thing to, like, go to the end of the show with.
1: Mm-hmm. Skip yeah. Skip
0: Bayless is somewhere weeping bitter tears, just like he did after Kawhi Leonard. It's the game-winning shot in Game 7.
1: Yeah. Or him after LeBron does something remotely Decent. good. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: LeBron is a loving father. Skip Bayless said Michael Jordan did it better. <laughs> wow. I think he did.
1: Yep. <laughs> All right, well, Nate— we did go a little overboard, but this is the first podcast we've got to do together recently. Yep. Um, so
0: you got to do what we, you got to do sometimes.
1: We got to please the people. Please we the give people. the people
0: what they want.
1: We're very good at giving the people what they want. Um, mm-hmm.
0: I will lay down my life for the people. Not really, but you get what nah, I
1: mean. Yeah, yeah, you 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 yeah. get what we're saying.
0: Yeah. All right, uh, Nate, plug your stuff in. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Big Nate Chester, and you can find all my articles and Grizzlies related content at grizzlybearblues.com. dot
1: mm-hmm. And you can find my Grizz work at grizzlybearblues.com. I am not much of a like a self a self serve gas kind of person, but I I did kind of talk about how I got to being where I am today as a podcast recorder or not recorder well yeah record podcast still podcast power, power, host power, podcaster podcaster <laughs> podcast host any um 20 year old white male um and then as as far as like how i got to gbb and how this has really progressed it's because of a conversation with mike conley and so like i'd appreciate you reading that at GrizzlyBearBlues.com as well as all the other great material especially and um
0: I just got done with school and you'll be able to see a lot more content from me here in the coming days and weeks.
1: Mm-hmm. And then Sean Coleman also has a really good piece where he reached out to Omari and Peter over at the athletic Gary Parish from CBS sports, as well as 92, nine ESPN
0: friends of the program
1: and uh, David Cobb. So yeah, that great piece from Sean really talking about and diving in about the uh, media transparency and how, if it's really going to fix with Kleiman and Wexler on board, um, so, yeah, find that at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. You can follow me on Twitter at paka underscore Flocka. Follow the pod at the core four podcast. That is with the number four, not four spelled out. Yeah. Well, with that, we're out. We're out. See ya.